Hey everyone, welcome to the Love and Truth Church Savannah podcast. We are so glad you joined us. Our hope is for these teachings to be encouraging and uplifting and that they would help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, let's get ready to receive a powerful message from Pastor A.J. Fowler. declaration this morning. If you got your Bible, hopefully you do, or if you got a phone or whatever that you're the Word of God's on. And let's make this together. So this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today I will be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. So this morning as we lean into the Word that I'll be bringing, you already see my title there, and I'll explore that in just a moment. Um, There are three things in Scripture that Jesus says, you understand the Sermon of the Mount, He starts there in Matthew 5 and goes for a few chapters where he just goes from one subject to the next. Uh, It's interesting. It's like many would be around him. It's like someone would ask a question and that would spur a thought and then he would start teaching into a different vein. He was exploring all of these different subjects and topics. And he comes to, uh, in Matthew chapter 6, as he starts to deal with three specific things that a, a disciplined believer is supposed to be doing. The first thing that he mentioned is when you give. He didn't say if you give. He said when you give. So I understand different mentalities on that, but that came straight from Jesus. So he's talking about the treasure. And then he shifts from when you give to the next thing of obviously what we're going to talk about some today is when you pray. It's not if you pray. It's when you pray. And then the third thing that he mentioned is when you fast. These are disciplines that the believer has to have a part of their life. And here's, here's the thing about uh, walking with the Lord uh, is a lot of times it's not always going to be mountaintop experiences in your journey with the Lord. It's not. We understand that there are mountaintop experiences, but then there's going to be some really lows. There's going to be some, some really low places that you have to walk in in your journey. And it's important that that encounter that you've had with God led you into disciplines that, that produce inside of you a stick so to speak, to where you don't neglect the disciplines that actually take you through the tough seasons. Well, yeah, but I don't feel it, Pastor Age. I don't feel like I've got, well, a lot of us don't feel it, and it's not meant to be felt at times because I think sometimes God wants to see how you're going to respond to him whenever you're not standing on the peak of the mountain and you're just, oh, everything's great. But it's when you're going through the tough places, have you learned anything? Have you, that's where you learn to trust God. In those times, and, and, I, and I've said this before at times, whenever I learned, first started to pray, I've had an active prayer life since 2010. 
I remember it was in the spring of 2010. I just said, I'm going to pray for an hour. I'd get up every morning before I would. And listen, and people say, well, he's a pastor. He's, he's paid to pray. No, no, no. I, had a, I established a prayer life long before I come on staff at a church. Wasn't even thinking that this was part of it. So it's not, that's not, I don't pray to get a word for people. I don't pray because I've got to minister to people. Uh, that's, that's a small tidbit. I pray because I love him. I want to know him. It's all about intimacy. You have to understand when you look at the scripture and you see it as a book of do's and don'ts, you've completely missed it. Because it's a love letter written for the redemption of God's people. And we say, well, that's Jewish people. Of course it is, but it also, we've been grafted in, right? So when I pray, it's not a monologue. Well, I don't see God. And I, I agree. It's great to have people around you that you can talk to and have that conversation. But let me just say this is when Jesus is talking with Thomas, and Thomas is like, oh, my Lord and my God, I've touched you. I've put my finger in your side. You are real. And God said, Thomas, blessed are those that don't see but still believe. So there is a, there's an encounter that I've had with the Lord that I can't impart that to you. You've got to have your own. That's with all of us. And the only way that those encounters come, it may come in the gathering of the saints, but that I have to walk away from the gathering of the saints. I have to retreat into my own personal life in my prayer closet. And I have to spend time with the Lord. Build that history with God. And then I return back to the gathering of the saints. This is needful and it's needed. Coming to church is not. People say, well, does it save you? I think in some formats it does. Now, it's going to mess with some people. Because there's people in this room that spur you on. <laughs> they confront you. But the problem maybe in our culture and society is that we don't like correction, but, but, but you need it. It's needful. I need someone to correct me. And, and so today I want to I dig into this topic a little bit to help us understand who our Father truly is. Because it's more than just a term that we say, but there's actually something connected from my heart. Like when I say Father, there's something inside of me that... I don't know how to explain it. It's just like an explosion of emotions because I know him as father. Okay? So we know that father is a term of endearment. It's, it's not, it's, it goes beyond just saying, well, who's his father? Well, that's great. But there's something connected to me when I say my father. Um, God looks at the closet of communication. And that's where he looks to explore you as you explore him. Yes, he knows you, but that's where relation with him, relationship with him is made. You don't just want something from him. You simply just want him. He is my reward. He's what I get when I meet on a daily basis. Um, what I'm about to read in Matthew 6, and it's, it's been quoted more times. It's one of the most probably quoted prayers uh, that... Many people, and you've probably said it multiple times yourself. This, on the even on the, the heading of my uh, scripture text, it says the Lord's Prayer. But that's inaccurate. The title is inaccurate. Because it's honestly not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord prayed it as a model for us. But the reason why is because Jesus couldn't sin. And in the Bible, it goes on to say, I'll tell you what. Put it up on the screen. Let's read it together. If you will, let's say it together. You ready? Actually, take me to verse 9, Morgan. I apologize. I'll, I'll hit that moment in just a second. So Jesus said, pray in this way. You ready? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So there's the prayer. We've heard it many times. Uh, And I want to, just a side note, it's interesting to note as well, that when Jesus says in the prayer, give us this day, our daily bread, kind of redundant. Why would you say that twice in one phrase, right? Because every day... You need a rhema word from the Lord, and you need something from the Logos word. That is the freshly spoken word of God that he speaks to your heart. And from the word of God, when I read it, God, you need a, you need a daily word every day from God. It's important. People say, what are you talking about? Sometimes it's as simple as the Lord reinforcing to you as you read scripture that he loves you. And that he's affirming you as his daughter or as his son. You need that affirmation. So Jesus is giving us a model Here in this scripture text, it's not pray this prayer verbatim, all right? And when I was in middle school, uh, I played basketball, and uh, that's one of the things that we would pray literally before we run out on the court was pray the Lord's Prayer. And I I, I don't know. I I guess I just didn't. We prayed it, and then we prayed it King James, and so I I was kind of confused on what some of it meant, I'll be honest with you. Um, But that's where I first learned to pray that prayer. Believe it or not, I grew up in church. I grew up around some praying people. I had a praying grandmother. I've shared this with, with many of you before, but if I haven't, just uh, act like you have never heard it if you have heard it. But I remember as a child, my grandmother was, was one of those that was raised Methodist, but she was a shouting Methodist. She knew how to connect with the heart of God, and then she come into Pentecostalism uh, of a traveling minister that came through uh, the community they grew up in on a mule that came up from Florence, Alabama, believe it or not. And he was preaching a message about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. And she was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I remember when I, when I grew up and I would, a lot of my cousins, I don't know if I, was, if I was just more aware and more holy or if I was just rebellious and just couldn't take it. But when she started praying, I had a cousins that stayed in the house, but I hit the door and I ran. Because I just had this holy fear. I'm like, I'm not staying in that house. I feel like something's fixing to happen. I don't know what it is, but it was just a holy fear that come over me, and I went outside. But I was raised around her, so I've, I've experienced that aspect of praying relationally. I, had a, I, I was raised in church, and we had a prayer closet, a prayer room downstairs in the basement, in that old church basement. Go figure. And we, would, we were down there, and I would get into the room, and that, that 12 by 12 uh, basement room, and here uh, men of faith begin to pray. And didn't have music. They just connected to the heart of God, and here we go. And you felt something change. took about five to ten minutes, but when it got heated up, believe it, the power of God was flowing through that room, and then we would come up to service, and then God would move in an extravagant way. So I've been around that. I just never prayed a formalized type of prayer in this way. And when Jesus lists this prayer, he's not telling you, as I said, he's not telling you, pray this prayer verbatim because in it brings a lot of transformation. He's saying, pray in this manner. Pray in this way. Here's your God. Anybody ever heard of Larry Lee from years ago? He wrote the book, Could You Not Tarry One Hour? That's a book he wrote on the Lord's Prayer. And it's broken down, the Lord's Prayer. There's two halves to this, if you will. Really, it's broken down even smaller than that. But the first half of this Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's one half. That's dealing with God. The second half is dealing with us. Okay? And then it ends up at the very, very end. For yours is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. But that prayer is broken up into two halves. This is a model for you. Now today I'm really honing in on our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's what I want to lean into. But my goal is, is that hopefully it gives you a pattern of how to pray. If I'm praying this, just in short, Father, thank you 
that you're not only my father, but you're the father of the saints. God, you reside in heaven. Your throne is established in heaven. You're seated far above all the thoughts of man. There is, there is nothing that's impossible for you. You are the God of all gods, the Lord of all lords, and I lift you up and magnify you. I choose to fear your name. Hallowed means to keep his name holy. I choose to fear you and revere you. I love you and thank you. Uh, and so that's, that's a way to start in that matter. Then there's uh, hallowed be our Father who is in heaven. Dealing with the names of God. You could actually take a moment right there and deal with the names of the Lord. He's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our Father who is in heaven. You are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God who will provide. You are Jehovah Shammah, the Lord God who is there. You're Jehovah Sidkenu. You're the Lord God who is my righteousness. You're, um, you're Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God who is my healer. I can take time and spend in that. And a lot of that, honestly, you can find that in the Pray First Guide. It'll step you right through of how to pray through the disciples' prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer, disciples' prayer. If you really want to know how Jesus prayed, turn over to John 17 and you can read it yourself. That's how Jesus prayed. It's a high priestly prayer. Jesus didn't need to repent of sins. He didn't need to ask for forgiveness of his debts because he had none. <clears throat> Ultimately, he paid the price, right, of your debt. So... But when he lays out to us and he says in verse 6, I'm kind of backtracking some, but he says, but as for you, when you pray, go into your inner room or go to your closet and shut the door. Look at this. Pray to your father who is. Doesn't say uh, he'll show up. The Bible says he's already there. So when I make my mind up, I establish a time, and I guard it with my life. The problem is, is our schedules are so full, we'll, we'll give God whatever it takes whenever. We'll, we'll give it to him whenever, right? But he's looking for an established time. I don't care if it's 10 minutes on your way to, your, to, to, on your way to work. We, we talk about, Pastor Eddie talks about the RPMs, uh, the read, pray, meditate. Read for five minutes, pray for five minutes, meditate, which means to think about what you just read for five minutes. That's 15 minutes. But I encourage you. When you get to know him, the time begins to grow. And then when you encounter him, I'm a crier. I cry. When the presence of God shows up on me, I cry. I'm just, I'm just going to confess it right here before God and everybody. Uh, no shame in it, I guess. But anyway, that's what happens to me when I encounter the presence of God. And it, it, that that's what I go after. Not to cry, because when his presence overwhelms me, that's what produces in me a pursuit. Again, the encounter produces pursuit. The pursuit through the tough seasons and being disciplined will produce an encounter. And every encounter is an invitation to go deeper and to know more about him. He wants to know you intimately. The Bible talks about that on that day in Matthew 7, uh, Jesus says that they're going to come to me and say, Lord, Lord, have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done all of the stuff in your name? And he says, I, I didn't know you. In other words, there was no intimate relationship and connection between you. I didn't experientially know you. Um, the work you did, although it was great, it was unauthorized. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. So my, my, my point in this is to know him relationally. I've got to know him intimately. It's not, it's not a, we can form a religion out of anything. And that just means get into a cycle of doing the same things over and over and over and over and over again. And they're producing the same results. But with God, I was telling our worship team, I think Wednesday night, I was telling our teams this morning and even for service. The moment that I feel I, I get a format or a mold or some type of system that I feel like this is how God's going to do it and this is how he's going to move, he'll change. Because he doesn't want me tied and married to a system. 
or a mold or a, or a pattern. Now, there's certain ways I do things, but I have to come with a heart of humility and allow him to move because Holy Spirit is a river. And what, I, what you never step the same foot in the same river twice. Like, I can step this foot in. I can jump in at the same time, and the river's already changed because he's a river. In other words, he's ever-changing, and he's looking to change you. God is not a static God. He's dynamic. He's moving. So you, you have to learn that about his nature. i got to move because that's a really long introduction. But hopefully you get it. So he, he tells them, your father's in secret. And the father who sees you in secret rewards you openly. Go to the next verse if you would. And when you are praying, don't use thoughtless repetition. In other words, I'm going to give you a model. But I don't want you to say it just to say it to get through it. And move on to the next thing. He says, don't do it as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. It's not in the many words you pray. People think, well, I, you know, I don't know what righteousness is, and I don't know what sanctification and propitiation and all those things are. First off, study. Know those words. They're important to you. And I'm not casting those words out simply because I can't figure out what they are. No, I can. You got Google, don't you? <laughs> those are important things. But I don't have to use those words. I'm going to tell you what. When I first learned how to pray, many of you have heard this. I was walking through an emotionally rough season of my life. The devil, the devil knew I was changed before I did. I'll just say that. I had an encounter with God, and it so wrecked me that I came back from this conference, and I, I didn't know I was changed. And then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. Everything from my past starts showing up. And I'm like, holy smokes. <laughs> what in the world is this? Because I stirred a hornet's nest. I had a legitimate, authentic encounter where the Lord Jesus showed himself to me on the cross. Never said a word, but I knew he meant, this is for you. Now, what are you going to do with it? That changed me. And that's when I came back. I said, some, some stuff's got to change. Then all hell broke loose. And you know what my prayer was? I, hit, I remember, <clears throat> I'm losing my voice a little bit, but on that house that we used to live in, I was laying there in the den on that wooden floor and in, in a puddle of tears and snot. It was nasty. I don't know about your sin, but when, 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 when the past comes knocking and you don't understand how there is therefore now no condemnation, you don't understand that yet, all I could say was, God help me. And that's all I said. And I'm brought, I'm brought back to that moment. I never forget that. Now, I'm going to, I've, I've been, I've, the Lord has done a work in my life, but I will never forget that moment of whenever I first established that I was not doing this by myself. I had learned, leaned towards him. God, help me. And that's where you got to get to in prayer. Prayer is a calling on the name of the Lord and obviously learning him as father. When I first come into relationship with the Lord, if I get to my notes, I'll get to my notes. I just feel a stirring this morning. But when I first came into the kingdom of God, my relationship and my prayer with the Lord was I felt like that I was a bond servant of Christ. I was a slave to Jesus and in a good way. Uh, somebody was asking me, I had lunch with Parker this past Thursday, and he, we were talking about prayer. And he said, tell me, how did, how did he become father to you? And so I just began to tell him. I said, Parker, I, was, I, I remember when I came, I was just so excited. I was doing construction work. I'd get off construction work. I'd come have, help Pastor Philip. We'd move chairs. We were moving into the building. I'd, I'd weed eat the property. Whatever he needed, I would just show up. I'd just say, hey, what do you need me to do? I would just felt this. I had to do something. I always had to constantly be doing something. And then I remember the day, a few months later, maybe I guess it's more like seven to eight months, where my prayer life shifted into a place where I felt like he was just the closest friend I've ever had in my life. He was a friend. Then he moved from friendship 
a year later, literally this is all track in 2013, I remember when he became father. I was praying and reading through Romans 8. And it talks about the spirit of adoption. And something about that verse just leapt out to me. And I felt, I lost my dad when I was 19. And I remember what it felt like when the presence of our father come into that prayer meeting with me. And I, for, the first time, for the first time in that moment for a long time, my dad died in 03, so 10 years, I had felt the presence of our father. And it began to come over me and rush over me, and then I knew him as father. But he showed up in, the, in secret. He was there in secret, and that's how I went from slave to friend to father. That's how I knew him. And it has to happen experientially. Can't happen apart from that. And let me say this. When I pray, it's not just an informational session. I don't just come in and tell God, God, this is what's going on. My life, you know, and then I leave and I'm out. Well, nothing changed because prayer is meant to change you. It's meant to transform you. Your appetite changes for the things of God. And you, if, if you have no desire for the spiritual things of God, then your spiritual appetite is out of whack and you're not healthy. I mean that. I mean it with love, but I'm going to tell you the truth. If you have no craving for the place of prayer and scripture and for the things of the Lord, the spiritual things of God, you need to get into the word and you need to have an encounter with God. God has, you have to, he has to change you. We've got too many that, that, and, that, that come to churches and they, they never really have a legitimate, authentic, real encounter with the Lord. And so they, they say they're saved, but they're still walking the same path. He'll, he'll, He'll challenge you. Remember what I said for Christmas? Jesus gets in you, and he challenges your heart's desires on things that you think that places that you go, people that you hang with, things that you say out of your mouth. He'll challenge you. Am I right? God already knows what I want to talk about before I come to him because verse 8 says that. Um, but just because God knows something doesn't mean that he's going to act on it. There has to be communication with him because his knowledge does not equal his action. Yes, he's all-knowing. He knows everything. He knows what you're going to say even before you think it. And if I, let me, by the way, here's a little side note. If we watched what we thought, would, we wouldn't have to worry about what we say. If we watched what we thought and what we think, we'd never have to watch what we say. We'd never have to watch what we do. Because as a man thinks in his heart, let me just say that, as a person thinks in their heart, so are they. And for you, how do you think about God? How do you think about him as your father, our father? Man, i got to keep moving. God says, I know what you need, but do you want me or you just want the meeting of the need? Because a lot of people, they make the, the, the need itself the God. Because what we do is we come to God in crisis control, right? I've been there. God, what are we going to do? You know I, haven't, I know, I haven't talked to you in a few weeks. We haven't had prayer and we haven't, now I don't go a few weeks, by the way. But you come to him in crisis. What are you, you going to do? You need to answer for me in this situation. God's like, where have you been? I've been showing up in secret. Where have you been? It's not condemnation because it's conviction. It ought to draw you into the place of prayer. But he's been looking for you. He set aside time. He's in secret. He's right there. But a lot of times we come wanting him to meet the need. And then when the need is met, we're bounced and we're out the door and we're gone. God's like, that's not who I am. And, and then what happens is we get a warped perspective 
about God. You're not thinking rightly about Him. And Tozer says that's the most important thing a Christian can do is think rightly about God. Because you don't know His nature, you assume things about God that's not true. Well, He didn't meet my need. He let this happen and He didn't meet it. So, I mean, He's not really as good as the Scripture says. No, you, you haven't showed up. And maybe you have showed up and you've been spending time with Him. And it doesn't go the way that you think it should. But I'm going to tell you what I've learned from that. I'm t- just walking and building history with God. God, I-, I-, I still trust you. Now, I'm not happy about this, and I'll tell him how I feel. I'm not happy about this, but you're still God. You owe me no explanation because he doesn't. But he wants to come near and close as a father. So when Jesus says pray in this manner, he says, our father who is in heaven. Why does Jesus say when you approach me, you're approaching an hour God, because you're in a kingdom, okay, and you're in a big family, capital C church, you're in a big family, Um, you're not the only kid in this family, (laughs) let me say it again, maybe this side gets it a little bit better, you're not the only kid in this family, so what that mean, what does that mean, if I think in that way, think about it, someone's like, are you serious, I thought that I was God's favorite, well, He's got every one of us on his refrigerator in heaven, if you want to say it that way. Oh, crazy, corny preacher joke. What's wrong with you? But we're all his favorite. It's our father. Jesus says he didn't start with my father who is in heaven. He said ours because he's inclusive. If Emerson and Elijah both have the mentality that they're the only one, they're going to be raised dysfunctional because I am not going to favor one of the other ones over the other. I'm going to make sure they have different love languages. That's me. That's what I'm learning. My goodness. One time I'm throwing a baseball and I'm tackling and we're headlocks and chasing and all this stuff. And then the next moment, Emerson's painting my fingernails. Not for real. We ain't there yet. And she's got her little, she's dressing me and all that. And you know, and so, so it's like I've got, I've got to figure that out. So, but I'm their father. I'm not... My father here, my father there. And so in the church family, you can't get that mentality. He's my father. That's what happened in 2020. You have people that's like, oh, he's my father. My father doesn't move the way he does like that. That can't be him. So there were so many schisms and divisions because the enemy loves to work in that. You tell the enemy was working in 2020. Why? Because you went from one issue to the next. I mean, it was just like, and the devil always overplays his hand. So you know it's him. All right, leave that alone. 2020 is gone and buried, but some of the fruit is still there. I don't know. Anyway, all right, so we know that God is sovereign. So when I come before him and I say, our Father, what does that really mean? God wants me to be a part of a functioning body of believers because I'm just going to tell you, you may struggle with this. Your love for God is not measured, uh, excuse me, your love, God, God, yes, God loves every person. Let me just start off and say that right now. People say, well, I love God. I do. I love him. But you don't, you struggle with people. You're a critical, mean, and you're just not a good, you're not a loving believer. Your love for God is measured in how you love people. I'm going to say it again. Your love for God is measured in how you love people. How well is that? I said this in the first service because it hit me this morning. Um, You can laugh at the beginning. It's okay. But many of us, when it comes to prayer, let me preface it with that. When it comes to prayer, we're vertically challenged. Now, that doesn't mean you're not tall enough. What that means is you understand 
me and God, this is a vertical relationship, right? We're vertically challenged. Therefore, we have stress on the horizontal relationships. You're too worried about the horizontal. You're trying to fit in. You're trying to find every one of these and make them right. And God said, I need you to connect with me. If you let this get right, you'll forget about the worry and the concern about people. So I come to him when I pray. My father and I'm coming to that relationship. He all of a sudden will confront areas of my life where the fear of man has got a root in my life and needs to change. Where I'm concerned about the opinions of people. Many of us struggle with that. Many of us, we don't, maybe we don't think about our brother or prefer our sister or our brother at times because we're a little bit more selfish. And so God will confront that as well. He's our father. Just as well as with Tyler, he's also over here with Tony. And Miss Jean, there it's he's the, he's our father, and so I have to relate as I relate to you. The father says because you you're relating correctly. First off, is that the vertical is correct. The horizontal will work itself out because I can see you love your brother or your sister. Guess what? I'm gonna move on your behalf. But a lot of people neglect that. They neglect the gathering of the saints. You can't. It's important. It's needful. People say, I think I said this. Is it needful for me to be in the church? Does going to church save me? In some aspects, I'll say yes. You want to know why? Because some of you needed a word from somebody in this house. Yes. Some of you got a word from somebody in this house. There have been business partners that have connected in the house of God. That has established blessing in our community simply through the, the gathering of the saints. So is it necessary? 100%. And you'll also get a word of correction from time to time. Moving on, sorry. So God wants every believer to be a functional ministering part of the local church where the Bible calls us the family of God and the household of faith. That God moves in that vein and in that manner. So we have one father, many children. Let me move into this next part. Um, But he's still a father. So many of us grew up where, let me just talk to uh, every one of us for men and women Because many of us, we look at God the Father as we do our natural father. And we're seeing it from the wrong perspective. You can't look from earth to heaven. You have to look from heaven to earth. Then this is going to take some time to unlearn some thought processes. Because your mind has to be conformed to the pattern of heaven. The pattern of what he has. So some of us grew up, we had no fathers. Some of us might as well have had no fathers. Some bad fathers, some abusive fathers. And our temptation is to view God in the same manner, but you can't. Okay, the solution then is to start with him and then dads, men, young men, I get my pattern from that. All right, I don't want to dig too deep into all of this, but I want you to see that. So fatherhood is defined from him. So what is it then? Our father in heaven, he is a father by position. All right, in scripture, he always moved from generational fathers, Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. That's fathers. So by position, that's how he's moving. He always did his covenants through fathers. Abraham, Noah, David, Moses, fathers, right? So if you're a man here today, God holds you the ultimate place of responsibility for your home by position of you, of your, you and your marriage and your children. So when I say fathers, it's important. Hear what I'm going to tell you. This should be conviction, not condemnation. If you're feeling guilty, let that go out the door. You have to become a man of prayer. You have to become a man that is connected to our Father and know him intimately in that manner. You have to take on his nature so that you don't punish, but you discipline. There's a difference. 
You need to, your children need to see you reading scripture. Your children need to hear you praying over the dinner. Your children need to see you loving your wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. My daughter is looking to me as her future spouse. That's what I see. I'm not telling you that to do what you want to with it, but that's what she views. So I got to make sure that she sees me loving my wife, yielding to her when we're supposed to. Boy, I tell you what. And in times of intense fellowship, because that's what happens, in times of intense fellowship, that she sees that we resolve the conflict and that there's love. There's, there's, she sees her mom, and it's not for show, but it's so they understand my son as well. It's important, dads, I'm telling you. Even all the single dads in the house and all the, excuse me, the fathers-to-be in the future. It's important for them to see that. So if the father doesn't own that position in the home, you might be a father by title, but you're not by position. You've carried the name, yes, you helped to the process of having a child, but that was it. And so my point in this is this, and I understand that is heavy, I got you, but it's important that we as dads, because guess what, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be, right? The old children, that's what he's doing. God is working. He's working on me every day. I may get it wrong today, but guess what, tomorrow's coming, and his mercies are new tomorrow. I'm going to get up, I'll apologize, make it right, but I'm going to keep moving forward because he's working on me. But let me ask you a question, so if you were the devil, what would you do? You would get rid of every father in every home. Because from the father, if the father gets saved, it's over a 90-something percent chance the rest of the house is getting saved. And that they're coming to church. So if you get rid of the father in the home, you cancel the position. The position of a father standing in place as the pillar and the foundation of the home is wrought. And it's left to the mother to do it all by herself. And guess what? That's happened. That's taken place. But guess what? I, for all the, the single moms, God, God's grace is sufficient, and I believe that he's... And he continues to provide. We know that. But he, he never meant for you to bear that by yourself. And husbands, if your wife is taking that weight of the spiritual, the strong spiritual one in the home, you better flip the script on that. That is not God's design and order. God designed it for you to step up to that plate and lead your, your home and your family. The next thing the father does is our father provides. We look at this and we see it with Abraham. Abraham takes Isaac. He's taking him up to sacrifice him. By the way, we don't do that anymore, okay? I got to make sure and make that clear. We're not offering up our... That was a test to Abraham, which became the father of faith, if you know your scripture. As Abraham is going up one side, because he's obedient, he got the word. He's walking up the side of the mountain, going to sacrifice Isaac. The Lord has got a ram going up the other side of the mountain. Because obedience always brings provision. I'm going to say it again. Obedience always brings provision. So as he lays his son on the altar, he binds him, he takes the knife, he rears back and about to plunge it into his son's heart. And all of a sudden, the Lord says, stop, Abraham, for I've provided a sacrifice for you. It's, it's stuck in the thicket. And in that moment, God sees that he can trust him. And out of obedience, the father provided, which where we get the name Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God who will provide. That's present and future tense verb. He will provide. So God will provide for you, but are you obedient to follow out what he's currently said? He tells Abraham, I'm going to provide for you as you provide for your family. Our father, our, the next thing the father does is our father protects. He told Adam, he said, I want you to guard the Garden of Eden. 
And then I'm going to guard you. I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to protect you. So Adam gets his instructions to fathering from the father himself. Again, if we look to our earthly father to provide instructions for us in fathering, I am talking to dads, but for all of us, parenting in general, it's doomed to fail. It has to be from heaven to earth. Side note to you, just so that you know, um, that, that in the book of Daniel, Daniel 4.26, it says that the heavenly rules over the earthly. Okay? The temple in heaven has been patterned, or the temple on earth, as Moses was, was patterned after the one in heaven. And so, in that, in other words, we have a father that is unseen. We understand that. Our father who is in heaven. That's where he's at and that's where he resides. We are bound by five senses. We're bound by time and space. We're limited. Your heavenly father is not. You understand that? He's not bound by that. So he's not subject to the limitations of time and space because his house is in heaven. The Bible speaks and says that the heaven, even the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he's given to man. The first uh, thing given to humanity outside of their breath and their nostrils was dominion. The Bible says that when he created male and female, the Lord said, let them have dominion. Give them dominion over the planet. People say, well, it's just a mess. Why ain't God stepping in? Because he gave it to man. He did. Why did Jesus come to redeem us so that the earth could be ruled by the Father through us? You catching that? I get it. It's a lot. But when you say our Father and you pray, this is who you're talking to. This is the one that you're speaking to. He's in heaven. But guess what? If, the, if heaven overrules earth, and we believe it does, he's unseen. He's very much in operation with a day-to-day as I pray. Our Father who is in heaven. Every time Jesus prayed, get ready, AJ, if you would come. Every time that Jesus prays, he prays relationally, except when he's on the cross. You know when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in a moment's time, the father turns his back on the son. The son becomes the full weight of sin. He took on your sin. He was perfect, by the way. In case you didn't know that, Jesus was perfect. He becomes all of your sin, all of my sin, from the very beginning of time to the ending of the world. He took it all upon himself and became uh, uh, so nasty to the point the father turns his back on his own son. And in that moment, Jesus understood what it meant to be disconnected in conversation and relation with the father. So God became God distant transcended the God that was so far away. And he became, he identified with that. He understood, he understood what that meant. And some of us have gotten really bad teaching on this. We think that he is God, uh, he's our judge. Or let me just say this. We think he's our Godfather. (laughs) Not God the Father, but he's the Godfather. And that's not him. He's not him. So I want to tear down that theological understanding of that mindset. We feel that hammer of legalism. And then it goes on to say, Jesus says, hallowed be your name. What does that word hallowed mean? Set apart, holy, unlike any other. He's perfect. This is why the Bible talks about not taking the name of the Lord in vain. It's important not to do that. I know growing up uh, and... Um, I say growing up, but through my high school years, 
I always loved to listen to comedians and uh, didn't matter what they said and who they were. Um, but a lot of what I heard was a lot of profaning the name of the Lord to get their jokes to come across. And Jesus says that, hey, he's hallowed, he's holy, he's sacred. Some take the name of the Lord in vain to reinforce maybe their innocence in something. Hey, I, I swear to, I didn't do it. And sometimes they still lie about it. In court, they tell you in court, you swear to tell the whole truth, uh, you, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. They swear to it, right? Many of us hallow things in life. Many of you have got certain items that you declare is holy unto the Lord. <laughs> Excuse me, not holy unto the Lord. Holy unto yourself. I have people that have maybe certain uh, classic cars that sit in their garages, literally never move. They just sit there. $85,000 sitting there. I was, but it was a project. I got it. I got it. Certain items, certain teams that we will reorient our lives to accommodate these items and these things. And there's nothing wrong with some of these things. So they're hallowed. Do you understand that? I wanted to make sure you understood that. that that's, that's the way we regard those. I think about this. I'm not going to go deep into this, but just to share, I, I hate doing dishes. And <laughs> the dishwasher, like Crystal was like, just put it in the dishwasher. And I have to pull it out. But I'd just rather just throw it in the sink. And, you know, there's other stuff that we're doing. Too. I'd just rather throw it in the sink. I'll just wash it by hand. I ain't worried about it. She's like, don't put it in the dishwasher. So I'll pull it out. And then i got to figure out how to play Tetris to get stuff into the dishwasher. And so I, I'd just rather soon wash it by hands. Well, anyway, there's just times whenever the, the dishes are full. I'm like, no, I'm just washing this all. I'm not. When something's dirty, when something is, just say, unclean, obviously, Look at dishes. When they're in the sink, they're, they're profaned. That's profane. So every time we take the Lord's name in vain, we're declaring him dirty. That's a really hard truth. I say that so you catch it. We, we, there has to be a heart of repentance, turning. But when I say our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. I'm saying may that name forever be set apart from every other name. You are holy. I declare that you are holy. If you would stand to your feet. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you are able to take something from this sermon and apply it to your life. Also, feel free to share this with your friends and family. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at loveandtruthchurchsavannah at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week.